Our gospel reading for today is in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And it's in page 1070 of your Pew Bible. The words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have sent and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Morning. Um, before I get started, I, uh, as we were praying for crime and violence in the city, I got a text before, um, just about 20 minutes ago or so, and um, a lot of you have gotten to know Mac down at Mac's Bar and Grill down on Pershing. That's where we have our, our monthly men's meeting there and, and uh, men's gathering. Uh, and he was broken into last night, and this is the second time that uh, his place was broken into. So uh, what, what really stinks is he was planning on coming today, um, and he was down with the uh, police officers just until a little bit ago. So um, just if you, if you know him, you know, have any way to, to support him, pray for him, uh, let him know. Uh, maybe if you go by there, maybe we can do business with him a little more this month just to, just to give him support. But uh, just wanted to share that with you all. Um, as we get into John 14 here, I, uh, some of you may notice that we're kind of jumping around a little bit in our series, and some of that is just due to uh, some changes that had to be made in, in the preaching schedule, and some of the preachers that were preaching already had their, their sermons ready to go, so I didn't want to change anything up, so we're just shifting around a little bit. That should get back on track by August, uh, but with some of the travels going on, um, it's causing us to have to jump around a little bit. But still the word of God, nevertheless, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. 
Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Make that promise real to us today. Deepen our trust in you that we may come to a greater knowledge of who you are. Lord, lead us and guide our hearts to a deeper and more and a, a richer relationship with you. I ask this for myself. I ask this for, for your church. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I think this is the first time I have a comic in the uh, beginning of my sermon. I uh, think everyone has one in their liturgy. But this one pretty much hit on the head uh, some of the theme of today's passage. And you may recognize this as uh, John Hendricks out of John Hendricks' book uh, called The Holy Ghost. And uh, John will have these characters in his book. The, the squirrel is kind of the cynic, kind of the one pushing back um, on Christianity. And Badger is kind of this legalist, self-righteous Christian. And there's, there's interaction going on between them throughout. And then we have this ghost. There are this little, this little character that kind of mediates and shares God's truths throughout the book, throughout the story. And, and it's, uh, if you haven't looked at it, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, way to share some of God's truths in a, in a pretty engaging way. So this, as you can see, starts off with this squirrel sobbing because of uh, weeping and, and, and over some loss. And, and Badger texts and says, sorry for your loss, everything will be okay. I promise, God bless Badger. And now what happens is it goes from sadness to anger. Squirrel's getting upset. He says, compose a new text to ghosts. How can anyone say everything will be okay? Who believes that? At what point is positive thinking just toxic lies? Everyone I know will die. Everything I make will decay. Is that okay? The only person who could truly say that would have to know the future, to know the end of the whole story. Then you see the end of the text. Everything will be okay. Promise. When we're troubled, when you and I are troubled, we want some kind of hope that the trouble is going to be comforted, right? that there will be some light shining in the darkness. I'm sure we've all felt like squirrel at one point or another in our lives, and maybe some of us are feeling like that right now, weeping over a loss, grieving. And I'm sure we've all probably been in the place also where we probably provided some encouraging text like Badger texted. Everything's going to be okay. Now, I don't want to be too hard on us there because sometimes we don't know what to say when we're confronted with a grieving friend or a grieving loved one. But the point is, we can't guarantee that, can we? If we are to say everything's going to be fine, we really can't guarantee that. But when we say that, it's kind of like saying, you don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. And yet we really don't have the right to say that to someone. And that's Squirrel's problem. 
He can't rest in Badger's text. And neither could I. And as we look at today's passage, neither could the disciples. They were troubled. The disciples were deeply troubled as they just heard back in chapter 13 that number one, one of them was going to betray them, was going to betray Jesus, I'm sorry. And then he tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter, that you're going to deny me not once, but three times this night. And if you look at Matthew, a little broader, uh, uh, another part of the narrative, Jesus says this to all of his disciples, you're all going to fall away this very night. Not real encouraging. Throughout the past three years, see, the disciples had experienced the power and security of being in the Lord's presence, in his physical presence. Think about this. When things went wrong, they looked for him. Stormy seas, things were getting tossed around in the boat. Go get Jesus. He's sleeping. Wake him up. Wake him up. Peace be still. Everything's fixed. Can't cast out these demons. What are we going to do? Let's go to Jesus. Jesus takes care of it. Jesus, what are we going to do with all these people? How are we going to feed all these people? Jesus handles it. Anytime there is a problem, they have Jesus within reach. Think about that. And he's there with them, not only to, 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 to fix the problem that they're dealing with, but to also comfort them, to give them some words of, of encouragement and comfort that are really, truly God's word. And now, now he's getting ready to leave. Think about this. The one who called these disciples, the one who called them, called them to leave everything. Drop what you're doing. Leave your nets. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Leave your families. Leave everything behind. Follow me. And now, three years later, by the way, I'm leaving. Perhaps some of them in their trouble were also a little angry. What is going on here? How does Jesus comfort his disciples? Well, now we're in chapter 14. In the midst of their trouble, Jesus now speaks to his disciples these words of comfort. He says this, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, that can potentially come off as everything's going to be okay, don't worry. But what we're going to see here is Jesus is going to show us why he can say this and why it means something very profound and very real. In fact, the, 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 what, what Jesus is saying here, if we expand on this, on this translation, it can actually say, let not your hearts any longer be troubled. In other words, not just from this, from what I just told you, but I don't want your hearts to be troubled from now on. And what he's going to do in this, he's going to comfort us and comfort his disciples by telling four things. He's going to say who he is, where he is, how to get there, and what to do. Who he is, where he is, how to get there, and what to do. 
First thing he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes right into this, believe in God, believe also in me. The better way, maybe a more likely way to, to, to say this is, do you trust God? You can also trust me. What Jesus is doing here is he is equating himself. He's showing that he is one with God the Father. He's saying, you believe in God? You've been believing in God this whole time. You've never had a problem believing in God. Well, disciples, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And believe and listen to what I'm about to tell you. See, when someone tells me not to, to worry or not to be troubled, my first response, and probably yours is too, what credibility, what, what gives you the right to say that to me? Well, Jesus starts off by equating himself with God the Father. It's the same thing. If you trust God, then you're trusting me. It's the same thing. If you trust God to be true to his word and powerful enough to deliver, then trust me in the same way. You'll notice that any time Christ or any time the Bible is telling us to believe, it's not some empty, blind belief for the sake of belief. This isn't Ted Lasso's uh, uh, locker room that says, believe, has that sign, believe. Believe in what? The Cardinals probably have that sign right now in their locker room. Believe in what? Jesus is not just telling us to believe. He's telling us to believe him. And he's telling us not only can we believe him, but we can believe him because he is one with the Father, the creator, the maker of the universe. And because of that, he's able to do what he says. He's telling his disciples to trust him. Reminds me of a scene in, in um, Harry Potter, the, the very first Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone, when Hermione and Harry and Ron are caught in this, uh, this plant. They get caught in this plant called the, the Devil's Snare. And uh, if you remember the scene, they're, they're in this, and it starts growing up all these roots and these, these branches, and it starts wrapping itself around them. And their first, what, 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 what's, your, what's your first response if that's happening to you? To fight, you know? Hermione all of a sudden remembers her class in herbology and rem remembers that this kind of plant thrives on tension and fighting and struggle. And so right away she relaxed. And you see her slip down into a room down below and let her go. And she had to call up to, to, to Ron and to Harry and she said this. She said, do what I say, trust me, you've got to relax. And so Harry did. He trusted Hermione and he relaxed and soon he's slipping through as well. Ron did not. Ron did make it, so it's okay. But he had to get out another way. The thing is here, when, when, when Hermione is saying to trust me and when she's calling Harry and Ron to trust, she's calling them to do something that goes against their nature. If you're ever with somebody driving and they say, hey, do you trust me? Fasten your seatbelt, because they're probably asking you to, 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 to brace yourself for something. There, there's, Jesus is doing the same thing. When the disciples are troubled, 
When we are troubled, it's our nature to worry. It's my nature to maybe get into my head, right, hon? <laughs> it's my nature to maybe seclude myself, get, isolate myself. Some people, it's, it's their nature to be short, to be angry, to get irrational. Jesus is calling us and his disciples to go against our intuitions, go against our nature, and to not allow worry and anxiety to rule our hearts. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that as well in Philippians when he says, don't be anxious for anything. What's he say? But by prayer, by supplication, make your requests known to God. And when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. It's our nature to want to worry. It's our nature to allow anxiety to take over. Christ is calling us to trust him because he is one with the Father. Now we see this, a great parallel of this in the Old Testament is Joshua. Remember, we just heard a reading about Moses delivering the people from Egypt. Well, Moses was a Christ-like figure. He was a deliverer, delivering them out of bondage into the promised land. And then what happened? Moses died. Moses was human. He wasn't resurrected. He didn't come back. Moses died and left. And left Joshua to carry on. And God says this to Joshua. We see God comforting this troubled servant. In Joshua 1, God says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, Joshua, Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And he says this, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses. Dave read this about the presence of God being with Moses and with the people and how necessary the presence of God was to be with the people. Just as I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. He says that twice in that first chapter. Joshua, I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you. And this, he says three times, be strong and courageous. Another way of saying don't let your heart be troubled. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. I, the Lord Yahweh, am with you. God was telling Joshua to trust what he did through Moses, to trust him now to do the same through him. See, the most important thing for Joshua, the most important thing for Moses, and now the most important thing for the disciples was not only knowing and trusting God, but having his presence with them. Having the presence of God accompany them. Having the presence of Christ. This is what was disturbing the disciples so much was that Christ was leaving them. His presence was going from them. Yes, Jesus, we believe you that you're God, but you're leaving. And this is where he continues. 
He says first who he is, now he says where he'll be. He's comforting them by telling them where he'll be. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Brothers, he's saying to, to the disciples, yes, I'm going away, but I'm going away that I may be with you always. I know you don't understand it right now, but I'm going away that I may be with the Father and I will be with you in a way that you have never experienced before. He's going away in order to make sure he is always with them. This isn't... It, um, this is most likely not referring to the second coming. This is referring to the giving of the Holy Spirit that we're going to see later on. See, they found their comfort in his presence. I heard Tim Keller say this. Their presence, the presence of the Lord to them was home. It was like home. Do you have anybody in your life, I'm sure you do, where their presence for you is home? I remember shortly after moving to Nashville and, and, and being with Christy and, and we were married and newly married and, and um, I remember being sick one day and um, Christy was taking care of me and, and I remember thinking to myself and telling her, I just came to this realization that home is really where she is. It's just, I'd been in Ohio for so long and now in this new city and, and all new people and but I came to understand and love my wife to the place to where she was home. You still are. And for the disciples and for those who follow Christ, the presence of God is home. So, he says where he'll be. Now he tells us, how to get there. And it's a little confusing because, well, it's, it's, it's kind of, I, I like how the disciples interact with him because the disciples are kind of asking questions that we would ask. Thomas said, oh, well, well, Jesus said in verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, whoa, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I like this uh, translation of that, of that phrase there. I am the way because I'm the truth and the life. Jesus himself is the way. This is something I've meditated on a lot in the past few weeks because I feel like it is the heart of the gospel. I've seen a lot of this in the gospel of John, where the centrality of Jesus is just plain and simple. I like what, what D.A. Carson says about this passage. He says, in this context, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus does not simply blaze a trail 
commanding others to take, a, take the way that he himself takes. Rather, he is the way. So you see, Jesus is not just living a life, blazing this trail, and then telling all of his followers, hey, do what I did. I'm the way, just follow me. But he actually is the way. The way brings us to God. It also brings God to us. The truth is the truth that sets us free from the bondage of slavery to sin and to Satan. The life produces fellowship with Christ and one another, and it's abundant life. What he said in John 10, 10, he said, I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. He told Mary and Martha, I am the way, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the source of life. I am the source of truth. Best illustration I could think for this, to really drive this home for me, is if we consider the Jews and the legalists who said God is far away and the only way that you can get to God is by looking at the blueprint and the instructions for this airplane. And you are to gather all of the parts and you are to read the blueprints and the instructions and you yourself are to build that airplane yourself. And once you have it put together, then you are to get in it and fly it to God. And hopefully you'll make it. Doesn't sound very possible, does it? Jesus comes and says, I'm the plane. Get in. And I'll take you there. I promise. I can't promise you a smooth ride. In fact, it will be bumpy. But what I can promise is I've built this plane and I will take you there and all you have to do is trust me and get in. The gospel, the gospel in its purest form is really kind of uncomfortable for us. The whole idea of grace can be uncomfortable for us because it's based on works that have been already accomplished. It's based on laws that have already been obeyed and fulfilled. It's based on a sacrifice that's already been provided for us and a perfect righteousness that none of us can ever earn but is given freely given to us. Now, not only does Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but he continues and says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's where it hits kind of hard for Christians, for followers of Christ. Because what happens in our culture We're being forced to think differently. We're trying, the, the, the culture is trying to persuade us. The, the culture is telling us how narrow-minded that view is, how hateful that is, how bigoted that is, that we would dare say that Jesus is the only way to God and all other religions are wrong. 
Well, if it was me or if it was you saying it, I can understand that. But what we're doing is believing what Jesus said about himself. It's not I who said it. It's Jesus who said it. And it's one of the things I think about, that we, we want the gospel to be inclusive as far as inviting everyone. But there's going to come a point where that gospel is offensive. There's going to come a point in our lives, in someone's life, when Jesus and his word is going to become offensive. And that's where we let the Lord do his work. But we hold fast to the truth. And what Jesus says is, no man comes to the Father but through me. There is only one God. There is only one creator. And the only way to the presence of the Father is through Jesus. And those are his words. Verse 70 says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. So from now on, disciples, followers of Christ, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, now Philip chimes in. Philip said, look, Lord, just show us the father. <laughs> and it's enough. So King James says, and that sufficeth, but I like it is enough. And Jesus sounds a little exasperated here. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? But can't you understand what Philip's coming from? I mean, Moses wanted to see the same. Moses, show me your glory, Lord. He did a lot of things, but show me more. I want to see you for who you are. And Philip, I mean, he didn't deny Jesus. I mean, he, he knows Jesus and he's been with Jesus, but he's saying, maybe there's, you know, show me the Father. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Word that become flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Philip, you're looking at him. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now listen, Philip, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Believe on the things that I've done. Do you remember when I changed the water to wine? Do you, do you remember when I fed the 5,000? Remember walking on water, calming the seas, Lazarus? Believe on those, Philip. Believe what I did. The belief that Jesus is calling us to is multidirectional. It looks, past, it looks to the past. It looks to the present, to what he's doing now. And it looks to the future and helps us and deepens our faith as we go forward because of what he did in the past. Because of what he's doing now, it gives us a deeper faith to carry on to move forward, to not allow our hearts to be troubled. So 
So now he says, what to do? Truly, truly, this is the truth. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is puzzling here. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And whatever he asks in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is a biggie. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's a big promise. Anybody a little squirmy when they read that? <laughs> like, really? I talked about this back in, when, when I preached in chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, um, and we'll talk about it again, because he says the same thing there. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And, and I, I'll, I'll use the same illustration I used then, um, that if my children are perfectly in line and know exactly how they, what, what Christy and I want from them, then whatever they ask, that there's possibility that whatever they ask will do. Mom, can I empty the dishwasher tonight? Yes, yes, darling. But really, if we understand the Father's will to the point of knowing him and everything that we want is what Jesus wants, that whatever we ask, he will do. I believe we have a long way to go, right? I know I do. But it's the truth. It's God's word. And he's saying, listen, this is true. If you ask anything according to my will, I'll do it. Can we pray that we could get to that place? That we could get to the place of knowing God's will, that our prayers would be in line with his will. He told us who he was, where he is, how to get there, and what to do. And entrusting our Lord and what he calls me to do, what he calls you to do, will sometimes go against, many times, go against my intuition, my nature, and even my culture. Talk about the gospel being simplified. Think about the commands. Noah talked about these last week. The commands. Love God. Love one another. The law and the prophets be boiled down to that. Simple, right? When we trust God and we do what he calls us to do, we're loving our enemy. We're praying for those who persecute us. We're forgiving when we're wronged. We're sharing the gospel, even when it may be uncomfortable. We're putting our others before ourselves. We're doing unto others the way that they, we would have them do unto us. Loving Christ and loving one another sounds simple, yet it's ripe with, ripe with potential trouble, isn't it? 
ripe with potential anxiety for us as we struggle with how to love an enemy. How to forgive someone who has wronged us and wounded us deeply. How to give when we don't feel like we're able. The command is simple, but to carry it out requires the power and the presence of our Lord. So what do we do? A couple things as we close. Number one, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know what it means to believe on Christ, it's what he's been saying throughout the book of John, has been believe, believe, believe. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, you may have life eternal. Romans says this, if you confess Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God, and if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We read earlier, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful and just to give us a cleansing, to give us the righteousness that he earned. If we come to him, confess him as Lord. And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you understand that Jesus made the plane, but you're afraid to fly. And you have this fear of flying that's keeping you from getting on the plane. Well, one thing I've done, if my kids were afraid of flying, I'd say this. We were in Nashville this past week, and my in-laws live in the flight path in Nashville Airport, and I swear every five minutes there's another plane going overhead. And I would look at those sometimes when I had some fears of flying, and I would say, that's happening all day, every day looking at 65,000, 70,000 flights in the world every single day that are happening. Maybe talking to somebody who has been traveled, who's traveled a lot, maybe talking to a pilot, maybe learning about planes, maybe learning about how they're made and how they are able to stay up, maybe looking at flight records. What am I getting at? If we were to get on the plane If we switch that over to being Jesus, then we get to know Jesus. We get to know him. We get to know what he's done. We get to know how he's proved himself over and over and over. So number one, we meditate on his word. We meditate on what he has written, what he has said, what's been written about him. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the resurrection alone is enough to meditate on. And if that is true, that's mind-blowing. If you're struggling with that, and you can come to a place of realizing the truth of the resurrection, that takes you down a whole new road. Recognizing the works of Jesus, that he is faithful to do what he says he'll do. And to spend time in prayer, spend time meeting with him. I encourage you to take 15 minutes a day if you're not doing that. Take 15 minutes a day to meditate on his word.
to spend time even just in quiet, say, Jesus, I don't know you, and I need to know you more. Would you please reveal yourself to me more? Lead me. And of course, speak to anyone that you know in this church. I'd be happy to talk with you. Brothers and sisters, he's worthy. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And with him, everything will be okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and your truth. Let it sink into our hearts and draw us closer to you. In your name, amen.